Chapter One of Biographia Literaria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Biographia Literaria by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Chapter One. Motives to the present work. Reception of the author's first publication. Discipline of his taste at school. Effect of contemporary writers on youthful minds. Bowles's sonnets comparison between the poets before and since pope it has been my lot to have had my name introduced both in conversation and in print more frequently than i find it easy to explain whether i consider the fewness unimportance and limited circulation of my writings or the retirement and distance in which i have lived both from the literary and political world most often it has been connected with some charge which i could not acknowledge or some principle which i had never entertained nevertheless had i had no other motive or incitement the reader would not have been troubled with this exculpation what my additional purposes were will be seen in the following pages it will be found that the least of what i have written concerns myself personally i have used the narration chiefly for the purpose of giving a continuity to the work in part for the sake of the miscellaneous reflections suggested to me by particular events but still more as introductory to a statement of my principles in politics religion and philosophy and an application of the rules deduced from philosophical principles to poetry and criticism but of the objects which i proposed to myself it was not the least important to effect as far as possible a settlement of the long continued controversy concerning the true nature of poetic diction and at the same time to define with the utmost impartiality the real poetic character of the poet by whose writings this controversy was first kindled and has been since fuelled and fanned in the spring of seventeen ninety six when i had but little past the verge of manhood i published a small volume of juvenile poems they were received with a degree of favour which young as i was i well know was bestowed on them not so much for any positive merit as because they were considered buds of hope and promises of better works to come the critics of that day the most flattering equally with the severest concurred in objecting to them obscurity a general turgidness of diction and a profusion of new-coined double epithets the first is the fault which a writer is the least able to detect in his own compositions and my mind was not then sufficiently disciplined to receive the authority of others as a substitute for my own conviction satisfied that the thoughts such as they were could not have been expressed otherwise or at least more perspicuously i forgot to inquire whether the thoughts themselves did not demand a degree of attention unsuitable to the nature and objects of poetry this remark however applies chiefly though not exclusively to the religious musings the remainder of the charge i admitted to its full extent and not without sincere acknowledgments both to my private and public censors for their friendly admonitions in the after editions i pruned the double epithets with no sparing hand and used my best efforts to tame the swell and glitter both of thought and diction though in truth these parasite plants of youthful poetry had insinuated themselves into my longer poems with such intricacy of union that i was often obliged to omit disentangling the weed from the fear of snapping the flower from that period to the date of the present work i have published nothing with my name which could by any possibility have come before the board of anonymous criticism even the three or four poems printed with the works of a friend as far as they were censured at all were charged with the same or similar defects though i am persuaded not with equal justice with an excess of ornament in addition to strained and elaborate diction i must be permitted to add that even at the early period of my juvenile poems i saw and admitted the superiority of an austerer and more natural style 
with an insight not less clear than i at present possess my judgment was stronger than were my powers of realising its dictates and the faults of my language though indeed partly owing to a wrong choice of subjects and the desire of giving a poetic colouring to abstract and metaphysical truths in which a new world then seemed to open upon me did yet in part likewise originate in unfeigned diffidence of my own comparative talent during several years of my youth and early manhood i reverenced those who had reintroduced the manly simplicity of the greek and of our own elder poets with such enthusiasm as made the hope seem presumptuous of writing successfully in the same style perhaps a similar process has happened to others but my earliest poems were marked by an ease and simplicity which i have studied perhaps with inferior success to impress on my later compositions at school christ hospital i enjoyed the inestimable advantage of a very sensible though at the same time a very severe master the rev james bowyer he early moulded my taste to the preference of demosthenes to cicero of homer and theocritus to virgil and again of virgil to ovid he habituated me to compare lucretius in such extracts as i then read terence and above all the chaster poems of catullus not only with the roman poets of the so-called silver and brazen ages but with even those of the augustan era and on grounds of plain sense and universal logic to see and assert the superiority of the former in the truth and nativeness both of their thoughts and diction at the same time that we are studying the greek tragic poets he made us read shakespeare and milton as lessons and they were the lessons too which required most time and trouble to bring up so as to escape his censure i learned from him that poetry even that of the loftiest and seemingly that of the wildest odes had a logic of its own as severe as that of science and more difficult because more subtle more complex and dependent on more and more fugitive causes in the truly great poets he would say there is a reason assignable not only for every word but for the position of every word and i well remember that availing himself of the synonyms to the homer of didymus he made us attempt to show with regard to each why it would not have answered the same purpose and wherein consisted the peculiar fitness of the word in the original text in our own english compositions at least for the last three years of our school education he showed no mercy to phrase metaphor or image unsupported by a sound sense or where the same sense might have been conveyed with equal force and dignity in plainer words lute harp and lyre muse muses and inspirations pegasus parnassus and hippocrene were all an abomination to him in fancy i can almost hear him now exclaiming harp harp lyre pen and ink boy you mean muse boy muse your nurse's daughter you mean pure in spring oh ay the cloister pump i suppose nay certain introductions similes and examples were placed by name on a list of interdiction among the similes there was i remember that of the manchineal fruit as suiting equally well with too many subjects in which however it yielded the palm at once to the example of alexander and clytus which was equally good and apt whatever might be the theme was it ambition alexander and clytus flattery alexander and clytus anger drunkenness pride friendship ingratitude late repentance still still alexander and clytus at length the praises of agriculture having been exemplified in the sagacious observation that had alexander been holding the plough he would not have run his friend clytus through with a spear this tried and serviceable old friend was banished by public edict in saecula saeculorum i have sometimes ventured to think that a list of this kind or an index expurgat i have sometimes ventured to think that a list of this kind or an index expurgatorius of certain well-known and ever-returning phrases 
both introductory and transitional including a large assortment of modest egoisms and flattering illaisms and the like might be hung up in our law courts and both houses of parliament with great advantage to the public as an important saving of national time an incalculable relief to his majesty's ministers but above all as ensuring the thanks of country attorneys and their clients who have private bills to carry through the house be this as it may there was one custom of our masters which i cannot pass over in silence because i think it imitable and worthy of imitation he would often permit our exercises under some pretext of want of time to accumulate till each lad had four or five to be looked over then placing the whole number abreast on his desk he would ask the writer why this or that sentence might not have found as appropriate a place under this or that other thesis and if no satisfying answer could be returned and two faults of the same kind were found in one exercise the irrevocable verdict followed the exercise was torn up and another on the same subject to be produced in addition to the tasks of the day the reader will i trust excuse this tribute of recollection to a man whose severities even now not seldom furnish the dreams by which the blind fancy would fain interpret to the mind the painful sensations of distempered sleep but neither lessen nor dim the deep sense of my moral and intellectual obligations he sent us to the university excellent latin and greek scholars and tolerable hebrists yet our classical knowledge was the least of the good gifts which we derive from his zealous and conscientious tutorage he is now gone to his final reward full of years and full of honours even of those honours which were dearest to his heart as gratefully bestowed by that school and still binding him to the interests of that school in which he had been himself educated and to which during his whole life he was a dedicated thing from causes which this is not the place to investigate no models of past times however perfect can have the same vivid effect on the youthful mind as the productions of contemporary genius the discipline my mind had undergone ne fallereto rotundo sono et versum cursu cincinis et floribus sed ut inspiceret quidnam subeset quae sedes quod firmamentum quis fundus verbis an figures essent mera ornatura et orationis fucus vel sanguinis e materiae ipsius corde effluentis rubo quidam nativus et incalescentia genuina removed all obstacles to the appreciation of excellence in style without diminishing my delight that i was thus prepared for the perusal of mr bowles's sonnets and earlier poems at once increased their influence and my enthusiasm the great works of past ages seem to a young man things of another race in respect to which his faculties must remain passive and submiss even as to the stars and mountains but the writings of a contemporary perhaps not many years older than himself surrounded by the same circumstances and disciplined by the same manners possess a reality for him and inspire an actual friendship as of a man for a man his very admiration is the wind which fans and feeds his hope the poems themselves assume the properties of flesh and blood to recite to extol to contend for them is but the payment of a debt due to one who exists to receive it there are indeed modes of teaching which have produced and are producing youths of a very different stamp modes of teaching in comparison with which we have been called on to despise our great public schools and universities in whose halls are hung armoury of the invincible knights of old modes by which children are to be metamorphosed into prodigies and prodigies with a vengeance have i known thus produced prodigies of self-conceit shallowness arrogance and infidelity instead of storing the memory during the period when the memory is the predominant faculty with facts for the after exercise of the judgment and instead of awakening by the noblest models the fond and unmixed love and admiration which is the natural and graceful temper of early youth 
these nurslings of improved pedagogy are taught to dispute and decide to suspect all but their own and their lecturer's wisdom and to hold nothing sacred from their contempt but their own contemptible arrogance boy graduates in all the technicals and in all the dirty passions and impudence of anonymous criticism to such dispositions alone can the admonition of pliny be requisite neque enim debet operibus eus obesse quod vivit ansi inter eos quos nunquam vidimus floriset non solemn libros eus verum etiam imagines conquireremus eustem nunc honor presentis et gratia quasi satietate languescit et hoc pravum malignumque est non admirari hominem admiratione dignissimum quia videre complecti nec laudare tantum verum etiam amare contingit i had just entered on my seventeenth year when the sonnets of mr bowles twenty in number and just then published in a quarto pamphlet were first made known and presented to me by a schoolfellow who had quitted us for the university and who during the whole time that he was in our first form or in our school language a grecian had been my patron and protector i refer to dr middleton the truly learned and every way excellent bishop of calcutta qui laudibus amplis ingenium celebrari meum calamumque solebat calca agens animo validum non omnia terra or bruta vivit amor vivit dolor ora negatu dulcia conspicere ad fieri et meminisse relictum est it was a double pleasure to me and still remains a tender recollection that i should have received from a friend so revered the first knowledge of a poet by whose works year after year i was so enthusiastically delighted and inspired my earliest acquaintances will not have forgotten the undisciplined eagerness and impetuous zeal with which i laboured to make proselytes not only of my companions but of all with whom i conversed of whatever rank and in whatever place as my school finances did not permit me to purchase copies i made within less than a year and a half more than forty transcriptions as the best presents i could offer to those who had in any way won my regard and with almost equal delight did i receive the three or four following publications of the same author though i have seen and known enough of mankind to be well aware that i shall perhaps stand alone in my creed and that it will be well if i subject myself to no worse charge than that of singularity i am not therefore deterred from avowing that i regard and ever have regarded the obligations of intellect among the most sacred of the claims of gratitude a valuable thought or a particular train of thoughts gives me additional pleasure when i can safely refer and attribute it to the conversation or correspondence of another my obligations to mr bowles were indeed important and for radical good at a very premature age even before my fifteenth year i had bewildered myself in metaphysics and in theological controversy nothing else pleased me history and particular facts lost all interest in my mind poetry though for a schoolboy of that age i was above par in english versification and had already produced two or three compositions which i may venture to say without reference to my age were somewhat above mediocrity and which had gained me more credit than the sound good sense of my old master was at all pleased with poetry itself yea novels and romances became insipid to me in my friendless wanderings on our leave-days for i was an orphan and had scarcely any connections in london highly was i delighted if any passenger especially if he were dressed in black would enter into conversation with me for i soon found the means of directing it to my favourite subjects of providence foreknowledge will and fate fixed fate free will foreknowledge absolute and found no end in wandering mazes lost this preposterous pursuit was beyond doubt injurious both to my natural powers and to the progress of my education it would perhaps have been destructive had it been continued 
but from this i was auspiciously withdrawn partly indeed by an accidental introduction to an amiable family chiefly however by the genial influence of a style of poetry so tender and yet so manly so natural and real and yet so dignified and harmonious as the sonnets and other early poems of mr bowles well would it have been for me perhaps had i never relapsed into the same mental disease if i had continued to pluck the flower and reap the harvest from the cultivated surface instead of delving in the unwholesome quicksilver mines of metaphysic law and if in after-time i have sought a refuge from bodily pain and mismanaged sensibility in abstruse researches which exercise the strength and subtlety of the understanding without awakening the feelings of the heart still there was a long and blessed interval during which my natural faculties were allowed to expand and my original tendencies to develop themselves my fancy and the love of nature and the sense of beauty in forms and sounds the second advantage which i owe to my early perusal and admiration of these poems to which let me add though known to me at a somewhat later period the Lewston hill of mr crow bears more immediately on my present subject among those with whom i conversed there were of course very many who had formed their taste and their notions of poetry from the writings of pope and his followers or to speak more generally in that school of french poetry condensed and invigorated by english understanding which had predominated from the last century i was not blind to the merits of this school yet as from inexperience of the world and consequent want of sympathy with the general subjects of these poems they gave me little pleasure i doubtless undervalued the kind and with the presumption of youth withheld from its masters the legitimate name of poets i saw that the excellence of this kind consisted in just and acute observations on men and manners in an artificial state of society as its matter and substance and in the logic of wit conveyed in smooth and strong epigrammatic couplets as its form that even when the subject was addressed to the fancy or the intellect as in the rape of the lock or the essay on man nay when it was a consecutive narration as in that astonishing product of matchless talent and ingenuity pope's translation of the iliad still a point was looked for at the end of each second line and the whole was as it were a sorites or if i may exchange a logical for a grammatical metaphor a conjunction disjunctive of epigrams meantime the matter and diction seemed to me characterized not so much by poetic thoughts as by thoughts translated into the language of poetry on this last point i had occasion to render my own thoughts gradually more and more plain to myself by frequent amicable disputes concerning darwin's botanic garden which for some years was greatly extolled not only by the reading public in general but even by those whose genius and natural robustness of understanding enable them afterwards to act foremost in dissipating these painted mists that occasionally rise from the marshes at the foot of parnassus during my first cambridge vacation i assisted a friend in a contribution for a literary society in devonshire and in this i remember to have compared darwin's work to the russian palace of ice glittering cold and transitory in the same essay too i assigned sundry reasons chiefly drawn from a comparison of passages in the latin poets with the original greek from which they were borrowed for the preference of Collins' odes to those of Gray, and of the simile in Shakespeare, how like a yunker or a prodigal the scarfed bark puts from her native bay, hugged and embraced by the strumpet wind, how like the prodigal doth she return, with overweathered ribs and ragged sails, lean, rent, and beggared by the strumpet wind, Merchant of Venice, Act Two, Scene Six, to the imitation in the bard, fair laughs the morn, and soft the zephyr blows, while proudly riding o'er the azure realm, in gallant trim the gilded vessel goes 
youth at the prow and pleasure at the helm regardless of the sweeping whirlwind sway that hushed in grim repose expects its evening prey in which by the by the words realm and sway are rhymes dearly purchased i preferred the original on the ground that in the imitation it depended wholly on the compositor's putting or not putting a small capital both in this and in many other passages of the same poet whether the words should be personifications or mere abstractions i mention this because in referring various lines in grey to the original in shakespeare and milton and in the clear perception how completely all the propriety was lost in the transfer i was at that early period led to a conjecture which many years afterwards was recalled to me from the same thoughts having been started in conversation but far more ably and developed more fully by mr wordsworth namely that this style of poetry which i have characterised above as translations of prose thoughts into poetic language had been kept up by if it did not wholly arise from the custom of writing latin verses and the great importance attached to these exercises in our public schools whatever might have been the case in the fifteenth century when the use of the latin tongue was so general among learned men that erasmus is said to have forgotten his native language yet in the present day it is not to be supposed that a youth can think in latin or that he can have any other reliance on the force or fitness of his phrases but the authority of the writer from whom he has adopted them consequently he must first prepare his thoughts and then pick out from virgil horace ovid or perhaps more compendiously from his greatest halves and quarters of lines in which to embody them i never object to a certain degree of disputatiousness in a young man from the age of seventeen to that of four or five-and-twenty provided i find him always arguing on one side of the question the controversies occasioned by my unfeigned zeal for the honour of a favourite contemporary then known to me only by his works were of great advantage in the formation and establishment of my taste and critical opinions in my defence of the lines running into each other instead of closing at each couplet and of natural language neither bookish nor vulgar neither redolent of the lamp nor of the kennel such as i will remember thee instead of the same thought tricked up in the rag-fair finery of thy image on her wing before my fancy's eyes shall memory bring i had continually to adduce the metre and diction of the greek poets from homer to theocritus inclusively and still more of our elder english poets from chaucer to milton nor was this all but as it was my constant reply to authorities brought against me from later poets of great name that no authority could avail in opposition to truth nature logic and the laws of universal grammar actuated too by my former passion for metaphysical investigations i laboured at a solid foundation on which permanently to ground my opinions in the component faculties of the human mind itself and their comparative dignity and importance according to the faculty or source from which the pleasure given by any poem or passage was derived i estimated the merit of such poem or passage as the result of all my reading and meditation i abstracted two critical aphorisms deeming them to comprise the conditions and criteria of poetic style first that not the poem which we have read but that to which we return with the greatest pleasure possesses the genuine power and claims the name of essential poetry secondly that whatever lines can be translated into other words of the same language without diminution of their significance either in sense or association or in any worthy feeling are so far vicious in the addiction be it however observed that i excluded from the list of worthy feelings the pleasure derived from mere novelty in the reader and the desire of exciting wonderment at his powers in the author oftentimes since then in pursuing french tragedies i have fancied two marks of admiration at the end of each line as hieroglyphics of the author's own admiration at his own cleverness our genuine admiration of a great poet is a continuous undercurrent of feeling 
It is everywhere present, but seldom anywhere as a separate excitement. I was wont boldly to affirm that it would be scarcely more difficult to push a stone out from the pyramids with a bare hand than to alter a word or the position of a word in Milton or Shakespeare, in their most important works at least, without making the poet say something else or something worse than he does say. One great distinction I appeared to myself to see plainly between even the characteristic faults of our elder poets and the false beauty of the moderns. In the former, from Dunn to Cowley, we find the most fantastic out-of-the-way thoughts, but in the most pure and genuine mother English, in the latter the most obvious thoughts, in language the most fantastic and arbitrary. Our faulty elder poets sacrificed the passion and passionate flow of poetry to the subtleties of intellect and to the stars of wit, the moderns to the glare and glitter of a perpetual yet broken and heterogeneous imagery, or rather to an amphibious something made up half of image and half of abstract meaning. The one sacrificed the heart to the head, the other both heart and head to point and drapery. The reader must make himself acquainted with the general style of composition that was at that time deemed poetry, in order to understand and account for the effect produced on me by the sonnets, the monody at Matlock, and the hope of Mr. Bowles, for it is peculiar to original genius to become less and less striking in proportion to its success in improving the taste and judgment of its contemporaries. The poems of West, indeed, had the merit of chaste and manly diction, but they were cold, and, if I may so express it, only dead-coloured, while in the best of Wharton's there is a stiffness, which too often gives them the appearance of imitations from the Greek. Whatever relation, therefore, of cause or impulse Percy's collection of ballads may bear to the most popular poems of the present day, yet in a more sustained and elevated style, of the then living poets, Cooper and Bowles, were, to the best of my knowledge, the first who combined natural thoughts with natural diction, the first to reconcile the heart with the head. It is true, as I have before mentioned, that from diffidence in my own powers, I for a short time adopted a laborious and florid diction, which I myself deemed, if not absolutely vicious, yet of very inferior worth. Gradually, however, my practice conformed to my better judgment, and the compositions of my twenty-fourth and twenty-fifth years, for example the shorter blank verse poems, the lines which now form the middle and conclusion of the poem entitled The Destiny of Nations, and the Tragedy of Remorse, are not more below my present ideal in respect of the general tissue of the style than those of the latest date. Their faults were at least a remnant of the former leaven, and among the many who have done me the honour of putting my poems in the same class with those of my betters, the one or two who have pretended to bring examples of affected simplicity from my volume have been able to adduce but one instance, and that out of a copy of verses half ludicrous, half splenetic, which I intended, and had myself characterised, as sermone propiora. Every reform, however necessary, will by weak minds be carried to an excess, which will itself need reforming. The reader will excuse me for noticing, that I myself was the first to expose Rizzo Ernesto, the three sins of poetry, one or the other of which is the most likely to beset a young writer. So long ago as the publication of the second number of the monthly magazine, under the name of Nehemiah Higginbottom, I contributed three sonnets, the first of which had for its object to excite a good-natured laugh at the spirit of doleful egotism, and at the recurrence of favourite phrases, with the double defect of being at once trite and licentious. The second was on low, creeping language and thoughts, under the pretence of simplicity. The third, the phrases of which were borrowed entirely from my own poems, on the indiscriminate use of elaborate and swelling language and imagery. The reader will find them in the note below and will I trust regard them as reprinted for biographical purposes alone, and not for their poetic merits. So general at that time, and so decided was the opinion concerning the characteristic vices of my style, that a celebrated physician, now alas no more, 
speaking of me in other respects with his usual kindness to a gentleman who was about to meet me at a dinner-party could not however resist giving him a hint not to mention the house that jack built in my presence for that i was as sore as a boil about that sonnet he not knowing that i was myself the author of it End of chapter one